Seeing as it's Black History Month, we thought we'd keep up the momentum from our last event and keep the conversation going with a talk on twerking. Twerking itself deals intersectionally with gender, race, sexuality and class. In addressing its appropriation, we are addressing the white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy which occupies black bodies and culture. Cultural appropriation which enables certain traits of black culture to be appropriated by white culture. So when twerking is embodied by a white body, it is transformed from a low to a high art. From objectification to respectable, and from inappropriate to appropriate. In terms of the structure of this event, um, the first hour will be a discussion amongst our panellists, who so I'll introduce in a second, followed by 30 minutes of open Q&A. Okay. Now to introduce our guest speakers. First speaking will be Sarah Wonfor. She is a member of the NUS Black Sabs Executive Committee and sits on the National Executive Council, the NUS. She studied African studies at the University of Birmingham and is a self-professed pop culture fiend. She describes herself as a womanist, an Africanist, and a very proud Nigerian. <laughs> Secondly, speaking will be Kalechi, aka Coco. She is a personal trainer, twerk instructor, and a pole dance instructor with a great passion for the fitness industry. Thirdly, speaking will be Sayana Bangura, a poet and editor of the black feminist platform, No Fly on the Wall. Fourthly will be Prisco Bumbo, a member of the Ain't I a Woman Collective. Finally, we have Amma Josephine Budge. She's a London-based writer, curator and artist. Amma writes and curates for the Radical Feminist Collective and Periodical Hysteria. Twerking, from, um, from my understanding of the discussion, is going to be about twerking, black women's bodies, respectability, and also, you know, black women actually reclaiming and owning our bodies. And I think that, you know, I am naturally a historian. If I, if I always try to find the beginning of something and in order to sort of put it into context. As such, I'm going to be speaking about, sort of, I'm going to talk about twerking from how the beginning of twerking. Okay. So, um... Now, I did my research, and the word twerk came, I'm going to be speaking about it from the African-American perspective, um, because I'm sure that other people would have linked it to beyond the African-American, but I'm going to center my discussion on twerking as an aspect of African-American culture. Okay, so the word twerk came into sort of African -Ameri the American lexicon um, through a DJ called DJ Jubilee. Um, you know, he released a song, um, and, um, and the, twerk, the word twerk was featured in the song. So from 1993 up until about 2009, twerking was the part of the song, which is more or less like asking women to shake the bodies, to dance, you know, when you say urban hip hop, you know, um, the Yin Yang Twins, who uh, are we familiar with hip hop? <laughs> so the Yin Yang Twins, they had a song called Twerk, and you had women shaking their bodies, and you know, black women enjoying the bodies and being bloody sexual in the videos, in, in the songs. And interestingly, Destiny's Child had a song called Twerk, T-W-I-R-K, um, which was also about celebrating the bodies. Now, twerking, as we know, which is what today's conversation is about, is twerking, my Sarah's, you know, to sort of the Miley Cyrus interpretation of twerking. So, um, now, pre-Miley Cyrus, 
Yes. Um, there was a video by a gender fluid DJ. When I say gender fluid, he is you know he's a man, African American man, a black man, proud, and he you know he he dresses as a man and as a woman, and he pleases. He owns his body, he's proud of his body, he's not bound by gender. And then he had a viral video where he invited women to dance, you know, to twerk. It was called the bounce. Would be out, so you invite them to bounce, and that was where twerking has been known now first feature in the video. You know the let me play, let me na 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 na. You know how that dance is now transcendent. Every one of the babies are whipping the na na. This DJ's video was how twerking was introduced. The dance that we know now was introduced into mainstream consciousness. When I say mainstream, I mean people who consume hip-hop culture, people who consume black culture, to me that's the issue, okay, people have different opinions, that was mainstream, so that was how it was introduced to that mainstream, which people can also, which people also refer to as black hip-hop, but then that's another discussion for another day. <laughs> so after that video came to effect, um, there were two women, they called themselves twerk team, have you heard about them? <laughs> So there's, if you haven't heard about them, please, please, go on YouTube and type in twerk team, you will get your life. <laughs> 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 you will get your life. <laughs> Literally, because the videos, you've got these two young girls. They play this in the background, they stand, they wear shorts, and they shake their booty to some nice beats. And shake the booty in a way that would make you wish you could shake the booty before that shake the booty. They have unapologetically ownership of their bodies. And to me, this is where I think twerking powers in. Twerking, because before then, if you would, if we sort of remember back to you know the 90s um, videos, you know hip hop urban videos, and I use that as a quote because I think that's an offensive term, but you know. But, is in the quote, hip hop urban videos like your hip hop RB videos. Though we had discussions about the video business, you know, we had first one was the light skin girls, the white girls, and there was the light skin girls, and it came to Latino girls. I remember having discussions and debates with friends when I was younger, you know, Latino friends saying, oh, you know, yeah, you know, we're pretty than you. You guys not on RB videos. We are on RB videos. So these things, these things invariably informs how black girls, dark skin girls, see themselves how they construct their identity, how they perceive themselves in the world, you know? So before then, these, you know, this was the representation of black bodies in videos. Now, twerking to me is empowering because post this sort of viral video, black women were now taking ownership of their bodies. Like, this beats, not a song, no lyric, just beats. I play the beats and I celebrate my body. I celebrate my body not to anybody's gains for, for my pleasure because my body can do this. I think there are two things that come into play there. On one hand, she celebrates her body for own consumption. On the other hand, she celebrates an aspect of her body that has been denigrated historically. When I say historically, I'm taking this back to the Hotel Pops. Um, Sarah Bartman. If we are aware of Sarah Bartman, she was you know, in the 1910 World Fair. She was buried all around Europe as this you know, this grotesque, savage, non-human entity. And now, twerking is celebrating the same features that Sarah Bartman 
was able to perform. And to me, I think that is the most powerful thing. Um, and also, another thing I would like to talk about, when I, was, um, I mentioned earlier on about hip-hop, hip-hop is very male-driven, isn't it? The men tell the stories and women feature in the background. The women are act as props to tell the story that they want to tell. Not tell the story, but women act as props to represent the ideal of how a woman should behave. And in that way, it's not how women should behave, but how a woman should be sexy. So women is just shaking your ass and the man is gazing at your ass, you know, making it great. <laughs> <laughs> On that ass. <laughs> you know, whereas we are making a clap on our own terms. We're making it clap for our own pleasure, you know? And then, so without, without we talked about the twerking, the twerking, and then, Let's carry on to 2013, okay? As I can there are lots of people, um, black women, when I say black, I mean people, black women, black, dark skin women, African-American women, that's who I'm talking about specifically, because those are the women who have historically been misrepresented. Those are the women who have been decentered where beauty is concerned. So when I say black women, I'm talking about those women because those are the women who are reclaiming their bodies, whose bodies need to be reclaimed. So, and I'm unapologetic about that. Okay. So, um, so we'll talk about the twerk team. And then in 2013, um, the MTV Video Music Award, there is a certain scene with a woman wearing some, you know, latex, <laughs> wearing latex um, hot pant. Gyrating, <laughs> you know, I think that was a question. Yes, yeah, so yeah. some say convulsing, but <laughs> 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 so let's just say gyrating. Let's 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 say what she intended to do with gyrating. But the problem, the problem in this in the picture that I saw with the MTV um, um, scenario was that this woman was gyrating, celebrating, sexiness, or it, it wasn't even, we were just like, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm using body language because there's certain things that you just can't. You're trying to make sense of what the person is trying to do. You can't. So, you can only, so all you can do is just try and replicate what they do so that other people can try to interpret what they're trying to do. So she's you know, shaking her ass. I think she was parodying what twerking is, you know, and in a way that sort of making fun of it. But then the problematic aspect is that you've got black women shaking their ass seriously in the background because they've been paid to shake their ass for her pleasure. But not just for her pleasure, it's for her economic benefit. So they are dancing. They're in a way sort of like that. Is that on and this the whole problem with feminism is highlighted here as well. Where you're talking about feminism, feminism is supposed to be uh, supposed to reflect the, the interests of all women. But when you look at this picture, you see that feminism is not representative. That within feminism, that some that you know 
um, been traumatized, a big um, diplomatic here, even though I failed a lot of times. What's within feminism, see this woman being feministic, owning her body because she, you know, feminism has fought for women to, to dress however we wish to dress. So she's dressing in a way that she's comfortable, showing her ass cheeks, that's fine, it's all right, you know, and owning herself, but then you've got black women who have been paid to shake that ass in the background in a way that projects her, you know, that projects her power. So she is powered while they are disempowered. Mm. So now let's carry on to, um, and then, so we're talking about America, so let's bring it home to the UK, Lily Allen. So yes, so um, yes, so my point is that 
black women and black bodies and black culture expressions, whilst we create for ourselves, whilst we create for our enjoyment, whilst we create for our self-affirmation, they are cherry-picked in a way that does not benefit us, in a way that benefits the white counterparts, whilst they're also subjugating us. And I think that is very problematic. And there's also another thing. I think it's not just the white um, therapy, there's also the black male complicity, complicity mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So Miley Cyrus, her MC Disarmor in 2013, the same 2013, a highly esteemed, what do you call him, Raga, Soka, artist, Elephant Man. <laughs> 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 He released a song called Twerk It Like Mine. And the video starts with the video starts with that woman saying she comes in nicely, you know, cut it up. He's like in problematic in a bedroom. So she comes up in the desert and she uh, takes it to your master, to your leader. So she sees the leader and she goes in, I can't sing, I can't dance, I can't twerk. And then the video starts with twerking, 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 arts. And the lyrics are, pardon me, I don't speak to us, so I'm going to say this <laughs> with my London accent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to try. He says, so I say, I'm Miley Cyrus. Yeah, you know. <laughs> 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 he says, yeah, you know, I feel why not? Twerking like Miley Cyrus. Come dash me, call me twerk, I can't say. Um, <laughs> you don't see your white boss. Basically, I say twerk at Miley Cyrus. But there's no white woman in this video. It is all black women. And the thing, it's not because black women, they're different shades of black. Even though I said that's very clear that my talk is about the darker shade of, of blackness. But in this video, all the women features are dark skinned black women. And it's telling them to twerk it like Miley Cyrus. Mm-hmm. So it's a black problem. So it's not the same that, okay, you guys are clear, but it's a vehicle for me to acquire or for me to achieve this, you know, this sort of, this desire, this desire for, you know, why. So we said if I even will come so far culturally, even will come so far ambitiously, even will come so far socially, this sort of construct, the construct of the ideal, this sort of placement of whiteness as the epitome, as the, as the sort of high beauty standard is still there. Even though, I, I, I just think that that's the struggle that black women are facing. I think that is the dichotomy of twerk. So twerk to me is a dichotomy. Where we're cleaning our bodies, we're enjoying our bodies, where we're undoing the violence that has been brought against our bodies historically. On one hand, we're doing that. On the other hand, side saying, now I'm right, now they hold up. Well done to you for doing that, but we're going to reclaim that, we're going to repackage that, we're going to we're going to so we're going to silence what you've been doing mm-hmm. and ascribe all of these to whiteness basically. And another thing that I think we need to be aware of that in this sort of discussion about twerking, whiteness, blackness or whatever, there are two examples I think we need to be aware of. Nicki Minaj versus Miley Cyrus. Miley Cyrus if it's working. What's good? I <laughs> 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 
he holds his mind goes like, what's it? She didn't say nothing, so it's like, you know. But the point I was trying to make was that in 2013, when um, Miley Cyrus did her Trotathon on the empty stage, <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't, I, I think we need to be aware that she wasn't hypersexualized. Mm. Even though she, even though she sort of used a sexualized dance, even though her arse was hanging out, even though she was being explicitly sexual. She was not sexualized. She was not hypersexualized. I think we need to be aware of that. Um, Nicki Minaj and Honda, yes, sexual, bomb chick, great. But one thing we see, one thing we see, I don't know if you guys are aware, Madame Tazor's dates for that. They could have done any image of the people. Mm-hmm. They could have done it in the neon, they could have done it in the white salt, but they did make it out of the replication, they had a couple of videos, as chicks in the air. You know, and I don't know if you guys followed, if you saw the, vid- the picture that people took. Yeah. 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 Her image was molested. Yeah. 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 So to the extent that they had to pull them off the grass rock, that they couldn't allow people to get close to the grass rock. So, Okay, so we have twerking, and you have Miley Cyrus, Nicki Minaj, both did explicit overtly sexual acts in the name of this same dance, but both had very different social repercussions, both had very different media repercussions to the acts, and I just want you guys to be aware of that and think about that and the implication of twerking on black women's bodies. And the question that has in the air for me is, do black women really own their bodies? Can we really own our bodies? Who are the, can we undo the damage that has been done historically to the black body? And so, for the inspiring work, does twerking hurt or harm the black woman's body? earlier on today, um, when you pole dance, you can't moisturise. So if you see any dry part of my body, <laughs> I just had no kind of mind to moisturise it. I just, I couldn't today. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so um, that's just like... Um, my way of easing us into, um, you know, um, going further into what we've spoken about. So I'm a personal trainer and um, I teach twerk and I also teach pole dance. And I feel that um, my aim is always... My, my primary aim 
game, even with personal training, everything has been about women, but primarily uh, women of colour and black women, um, to focus on creating safe spaces for them to um, explore their bodies and to become healthier and um, to feel, you know, to, to just feel safe. And um, that's what um, I take from the title of today, twerk as in, twerking as an act of resistance. Like, I teach twerk as an act of resistance. I refuse to not be present in something that I feel is part of my history. So um, we talked earlier about um, twerking in the sense that we see it now starting from America. But when I teach twerk, I take it further than that. I start it in its roots in African dance because that's where it originates from. If we're going to talk about hip hop, hip hop originated in Africa. So when I teach um, twerk, even if you look at the movements, um, Everything is about a drum beat. Everything is about the bass. So I try to get um, the women who attend my class to connect with that. And I always get um, you know, new students and who come in with their perception, that kind of what I call the Miley perception. They walk straight into the class and the first thing they think is that they're going to like shake vigorously. <laughs> and that's not what we're going to do. And that's not just um, limited to um, you know, white women or any... It, everyone, you know, they come in with even... Um, women of um, African descent, they still come in and have this perception, almost like um, something that they should know has been monopolised and they don't even recognise it themselves anymore. And so they're coming to come and do the same dance. So I've got to then deconstruct the whole thing and start from a base. So even when we start the class, I never um, play hip-hop. Um, I always start with um, Afrobeats. And from the Afrobeats, um, I'm trying to show them the clear link from Afrobeats to the music that they're listening to now, you know, and how the same beats are present, but with maybe different lyrics. Um, and so that's why it's important to me. It's also important because I kind of fell into twerking. Um, <laughs> just descended. Um, but, um, no, what I mean is I went to the studio to go and learn pole dance and I got there and um, one of the owners, uh, owners of the studio was like, oh, um, you know, you're really good. Um, you can help teach some hen parties and also would you consider maybe covering for me sometimes to teach twerk? Firstly, I need to ask why she thought that I would be able to teach twerk, but... That's by the by. Um, so she said, um, and I, at that point, I wasn't really connected with twerk as it's called with the capital T. I just, I dance and what I do, I don't give a name to. I just move to the beat. Um, and so um, she said, oh, can you show me what you can do? And I showed her and she was like, oh my God, that's amazing. I, I can't do that. Do you want to teach my class? And I thought that was really um, nice of her. I don't know, it, it takes... I guess she had to put her ego to the side to be able to look at someone and go, have my class. And so from, um, I didn't say yes straight away, I wanted to see what she taught first to kind of get an idea. So I went and it was just lots of bitches and hoes and dicks in my head and like just, just a lot of stuff. And I looked at it and I thought, I couldn't ever teach this because this isn't what I understand twerk to be. So when I started the class, I actually created a curriculum and I was just like, we're going to start from here and then we're going to work and work and work. So um, what we do end up with is a great workout, but also an understanding of the roots of dance, you know, or twerk of African dance. And I feel that that makes for more informed people. Where it's leading me to is a lot of uh, black women um, often chastise me for teaching twerk to white women. Oh, why? Because you're part of the problem. You know, you're teaching them something. And, and I feel that 
that's really problematic in itself because am I teaching twerk and saying let's mindlessly shake our bums or am I saying let me teach you about my culture because there's appropriation and there's appreciation yeah so if um, these women want to come to the class who am I to say no stop right now thank you very much like you can't um, it's it, it, to, I don't see how we progress from there. I feel that we use these spaces and we use them as a way of um, learning from each other. Um, it might not be as radical as some would like, but I feel that that's one of the ways to go about it. And, you know, sometimes women come and they're like, this is not what I expected. This is not what I want. I want to shake my bum and, and um, do all sorts of that. Okay, I'm not your teacher. I'm not the person to teach you. Someone else can teach you that. But if you're coming to my class, we're going to exchange. There's going to be an exchange, um, you know, that takes place there. And women have continued coming. They've continued coming. And I've actually found that um, there aren't as many black women because um, I feel that they feel that they don't need to twerk. Like, I don't need to be taught how to move to music. I already know how to move to music, which is what a lot of women say to me, and I totally understand that. But um, another thing to consider is, you know, using it as a form of exercise, because a lot of women don't necessarily want to go to the gym, um, and exercise is closely linked to mental health. So it's, you know, it's about thinking about other ways that you can get fit without necessarily doing the things that you find boring. Um, So, yeah, for me, twerk is about having that safe space, having a safe space for um, engaging and also um, to teach um, about the history of something. So you're having people who are dancing the way, um, you know, the way that you dance, but they have an understanding of what they're doing. Um, Then conflict began when someone said that my class was too closely focused to African dance and that we should change the name of my class to tribal twerk. then take my time to put my anger to the side and explain why the term tribal would be problematic but it still didn't kind of penetrate it's still like but you know you know twerk is twerk and then what you're doing is a bit more like tribal a bit more african so, <laughs> so I and so, so this this presented a real problem for me and I thought to myself I really have to work harder at, at um, making that link clear that there is no differentiation the twerk I teach is not a different type of twerk it's not a tribal twerk it's the same um, just to a different beat um, so that's why I, I, instead of taking it out on the person that suggested it or the um, you know the group that suggested it I just focused more on actually working at the class and making sure the people who attended the class understood what they were coming there for um, also, I try to take <coughs> twerk or let's say pole, pole dance outside of the studio. Um, I feel that black women's bodies, we are, it's almost like we're given a space and a time to exhibit it. And it's, on, it's always within the confinement of white patriarchy. And so I try to break out of this in my own way. 
Um, I have a thing where I do pole moves on the on public transport. <laughs> because, um, just because it's great. But apart from the fact that it's great, it's also because black women need to be seen, you know, mm-hmm. and not just seen. Like if you don't, the moment you hear black woman pole dancer, you hear stripper, and that's just not, you know, just. And I, I love strippers. I love strippers. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is that people shouldn't be confined to just your limited view of what pole dancing is or black women pole dancing. I say black women pole dancing, instantly you think of, I don't know, some club in Atlanta and a woman shaking it and dollar bills flying everywhere. Um, and there are some, actually, um, like there are some amazing pole athletes, black pole athletes, that don't get the credit they deserve because they are denigrated to oh, you're black, that body on the pole is filth. Um, And so that's why I do the pole moves outside, to kind of, in everyday normal life, wearing normal clothes, just pop on a pole wherever I see it, um, just to make make it seem that we're here and we do this normally without there being sexualisation around it. So it brings me to, um, yeah, the the sexualisation of twerk. I think we'd like to believe in an ideal world that we use to work to empower ourselves, but I feel that a lot of it is still for the male gaze. Um, I wear um, shorts, the kind of shorts that I wear to twerk because I don't have a big bum. (laughs) And it makes me sad. So um, to get as much shape as I can from what I have, I have to wear these mini shorts and also to demonstrate you know, what I'm doing. But that doesn't mean that everyone has to wear these mini shorts. You can wear whatever you want. You can wear leggings. But um, when I go on um, the internet and I type in twerk, I see a lot of white women come up and they're wearing almost thongs. And everything's always... I, and there's, I don't want to say the person's name without getting sued for like libel but I see a lot of her twerk videos there are never any black women present um, and it's always just made about this sexy 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 thing about twerk and um, and it, it it's almost like erasure you're erasing where it started and so when you um, spoke earlier about um, Lily Allen doing what she was doing that really angered me and I sent her like loads of tweets telling her about it <laughs> to shake my ass to whatever whatever but you've got these black women shaking their asses so it's like well you guys need to do that but I don't so what are you saying about our economic status like well I don't like our socioeconomic status like I don't need to do that but you guys do so get on with that um that's that's worrying Iggy Azalea has done the same thing this star has said in songs um, I'm a runaway slave master yeah um and but women are still Black women are still in their, her videos, just just doing what they do, and she, they're always elevated. Whenever you see them, they're always um, these white artists are always apart from them. They're either higher up or they're further away, so as to distance themselves really from what's happening because they're above that. You're above it, but it's what's making you your money. So it's 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 an age-old thing that money is made from blackness but we hate blackness we don't want blackness but we want everything that comes from blackness and we talked about Sarah Martin we spoke about Sarah Bartman and her, her bum and you know the fact that she was paraded around Europe and when she died she was like cut up into pieces and um, her labia was just out for the world to see like look how massive it is um, 
that really still upsets me till today because it, it hasn't really stopped the dissection of the black female body. It's just dissected in different ways. Um, so taking ownership of that, I guess, means that we can't um, try to aim for the same standards, I guess. Like, oh, well, I need to be in a magazine too doing this because that would mean that we're equal. No, because you'll always be seen differently. Um, and, yeah, so those, those kind of images really, really do um, bother me as to how they're put out there. Um, black women shaking, big hair, big... So, so what happens is that you go somewhere, or I go somewhere with this kind of hair, and maybe if I put on earrings, then it's like someone will speak to me, I'll respond, and then when you ask them what I've said, they'll do something like, oh, she said, mm-mm, girl. But I didn't do that. So you're, like, you're taking me, you're permeating me through a filter that you've created that's not me. Um, so actually... What's happening with twerk, the consumption of twerk, I would really be reluctant to say that it's benefiting black women. I feel that it's actually a violence upon them that's been inflicted in a different way. Um, and so far so that it's been taken away from them what it is. And it's always like um, these things are served as low art, as was mentioned earlier. They're served as low art, but I don't feel like when Miley did it, it was high art. It was still trash. Um, um, but, you know, it's it's easier to consume when the skin is lighter and that's where the problem lies um, it, it's a problem to me that um, dark skin infers masculinity the reason I say that is because I have numerous men come up to me more often than I care to like disclose to say you know you have such pretty face but you have body like a man you know women are meant to be muscular like this but then the same people will come on my Instagram page and like 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 <laughs> So, <laughs> you're confused. What do you want? You're <laughs> um, so I feel that, yeah, overall, that's my take on it. I, I will continue to teach twerk to anyone who wants to learn twerk as long as they're willing to learn what comes with that. Um, because I feel that in that way, I'm also helping other black women because um, I'm trying to explain so when they uh, when these people interact with um, other women who do this or who don't even do this they have more of a respect for what it is they don't come to the class and go oh I, um twerk you teach twerk is that what miley does it's more about getting more of an education out there about what it actually is or the hit like the history of it um but i feel that siana wants to talk more about actually the ownership of twerk <coughs> Yeah. Yeah, Hi everyone, this room is great. Look at all of you. Beyonce boys, y'all look so beautiful right now. Not as good as me, but never mind. My name is Sienna, and thank you for having me and some great stuff here from my two friends. Um, I would say, actually, I am not a twerking expert. I don't know how to isolate my booty like that, and it's a shame. I wish I could. But what? Oh, is it not working too well? Is this better? Yeah. Okay, so. But what I would say is my mantra in life, yeah, is let black girls live, please. Like, that's what I do. Um, I, and I, um, I am the founder, my yeah, okay, I'm the founder and editor of a platform called No Fly on the Wall, um, and we centre the voices of black British women, and I founded No Fly on the Wall in July 2013 after I graduated from university, um, because I just thought, 
Okay, firstly, pretty much black women are invisible. And when we are visible, it's like a kind of African-American idea of what we are, a caricature. And then in that caricature, it's basically always bad. Um, a hyper-visibility that is, is always bad. And I think, I just want to put out some names that have been mentioned, but just to reiterate these people in different ways who are continuously violating the black woman's body. Taylor Swift, right? <laughs> Lily Allen, as we've said, Igloo Australia. <laughs> and then of course that demon, Miley Cyrus. Um, and I'm really, 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 really not a fan of her. Like, I'm making that very, very, very clear because I think she, like everything she does is an act of violence, for real. They're making a joke. Like, from, just from the way, you know, she's wearing dreadlocks, Right. And then she's dragging black women. I'm confused, I don't understand. Like, take those dreadlocks out first. <laughs> and, um, but I'm gonna kind of just talk, I suppose, like I said, my whole thing is let black girls live, right? And I think the, the very first way that we are not allowed to just live is the fact that our very bodies are politicized by everyone all the time, everything, from hair to skin color, to the way you speak, the way you express yourself, the way you move your actual body. And obviously, your body is your vessel, yeah? And if you are basically imprisoned by other people through your body, then that causes a lot of problems, basically. So that's the first thing you start with the body. And in terms of kind of the politicization of our bodies and hyper-sexualization, this harks back to, to colonial days, this harks back to slavery, this harks back to that um, idea of controlling black women's bodies and our sexuality and our reproduction so that we wouldn't reproduce, we wouldn't bring more black demons into the world kind of thing. Um, and this idea of kind of controlling how we are from with, with acts of violence like rape um, and all those kind of things. And I mean, as collectively as I'm saying, all these things, they, it's kind of still the same, they just sort of manifest themselves in different ways. So I have a big problem with just like controlling images of black women, which include the angry black woman stereotype. A really key one to this discussion is the Jezebel, you know, this loose black chick who's ratchet, looking for love in all the wrong places and shit. Um, that's like a song, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also there's this wholesome mammy stereotype, if you know what that is, this dark skinned black woman who's quite big and her whole life is devoted to um, white families and she's void of sexuality actually. So she's kind of like, I suppose, the, um, what, what, the, the good savage, shall we say. Um, and all of these images are used to control our bodies, I'd say. And I found that, um, kind of in my experience, even from a young age, I don't know about you know the black girls in here, but who's ever felt like they were kind of sexualized when they were younger? Yeah. Raise your hands. Okay. Well, I have, for instance. So I mean, I would like to say I kind of grew into my bum. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when I was younger, I feel like it didn't quite work for me. But then again, that mindset because everyone else made me feel like I was weird, kind of things, you know. Um, and I, I still think that you know, even when I was like 15 or younger, there were older men being vultures trying it because of my body, you know? And this idea of that black children aren't even allowed to be children, black girls are not allowed to be children because people are putting their weird pedophilia on them, I, I call it that. And I think, again, it's all about the, the control thing. And as we were talking about Sarah Barman, that's interesting. So obviously the Victorian period, yeah, we kind of all know what the women used to wear. They had that kind of big frame thing. What does that remind you of? A big booty, you know? And I think this whole kind of cultural appropriation thing is so deep and so, like, the his history is there already. So even from day, like, there's been cultural appropriation. And even when these women were sort of mimicking a kind of big black bum, 
They were still the, the epitome of morality, the epitome of purity, the epitome of what it is to be a good woman. And, you know, actually Patricia, Patricia Hill Collins, a prominent black feminist, says, you know, to have the other, you need to have another. So what she means by that is, obviously, to know what a pure woman is, you need an unpure woman. And you, so you need black women to be in certain states. You need them to be portrayed in certain ways. You need our bodies to be like belittled basically so that you can prop up the white body um, and as we've been saying kind of this idea of I guess I call it like black women's bodies being this kind of terrain of war um, it, I think it's actually a privilege to not have your, to not be politicised um, if we're thinking about hair for a second I know a lot of black women who don't think it's that deep when people touch their hair <laughs> well for me it's quite deep to be quite honest because again it's more often than not it's people not asking to come into your personal space, yeah, to touch you, to, to, to be, like, like, to act like you're a zoo animal. Um, and it's the same with, with bodies. If I, I, I actually talk about taking up space quite a lot. Um, I, do, I talk all the time, this idea of, like, let's like say, kind of being in places where you're not supposed to be, doing things you're not supposed to be doing, those places being present. And if I give you an example, actually, of something that happened to me on Friday, um, so it's a bit off topic, but I'll bring it back. But basically, I actually was the victim of a hate crime on Friday, en route to Liverpool. Um, where I was hit by a racist white man and everyone just sat there and watched. And I think part of it is, is that better? Yeah, it's like a really big thing at the moment with the police and everyone else and the, the, the media. But um, what a, a key thing in that situation was that, you know, I was victim blamed and everyone was kind of, essentially what they were saying was that I shouldn't be there. They were saying you should remove yourself from the situation, that I as a black woman shouldn't be in those spaces taking up space, that my body somehow was because it was there, it meant that it was kind of a free-for-all for everybody kind of thing. Um, and that's just something to put out there, the fact that actually women anyway, I think often we get victim blamed for things. If you get raped, it's a case of why were you wearing that? Why were you walking there? Why were you there at that time? And um, it's something to think about. And if we come back to kind of this idea of sexuality, I think it's quite interesting that when women, uh, you know, overall kind of claim their sexuality or reclaim it, a lot of the time men are quite scared, basically. A lot of men are scared and they kind of feel like it's, a, it's some kind of conspiracy that you would dare to be like, this is my sexuality. Um, and you see it all the time on social media, you know, like masculinity is so fragile, right? Um, where if you're, if, if, like, I, guess, I know I've got a lot of friends who send each other nudes. Um, I don't know if y'all do that, but, <laughs> but it's not, <laughs> but it's more a kind of, you, you like, it not, I think it's more just a kind of, oh, like a self, like, how am I looking girls? I'm looking good, cool. I can do my thing now. Um, <laughs> but, it's, but I, I know for a fact I had a lot of like, male acquaintances who felt really weird about that, like, you massive lesbians. Like, yeah. Okay, even if you were, like, so. Um, <laughs> but this very idea of, like, women themselves reclaiming their body is actually quite a threatening act. And again, as black women reclaiming your body is quite a threatening act. Um, and again, you know, who knows about these fake deep hotels? Do you know what that is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, if you don't know what fake deep is, it's basically, well, it's usually a black man on social media who's saying, I want you to be Nefertiti and not a queen or Nikki. Uh, sorry, not a bee or Nikki. Nefertiti, <laughs> obsessed with Egypt. Basically, this idea that you can't be queen-like. So basically, it's idea that you should just be like quite one-dimensional. So you have to be all holier than thou. And if you are, if you're like, Working or owning your sexuality or anything, then you're like 
one of those devils or whatever. And this idea of like people policing you even when they they maybe think that they're co-signing your freedom, that's very interesting to me. And I think that black women's bodies are policed by white men, by white women, by black men, by other black women. Um, and you know, we're basically policed by everybody. And so I do think, as I said, when you do stand up for yourself and say like, this is mine, it, it causes a lot of problems. And as I said, particularly this angry black women stereotype and the just stereotype, when you, when you dare to say no, then you are immediately in those kind of those categories. And I think, I mean, I would just say, you know, I want to keep this kind of brief, but I think my main thing is I would just say that it's actually another thing that's quite interesting that we've said, you know, like when we have something, it's not great, it's ratchet, it's low, and then it becomes high fashion, for example, mm-hmm. when it's on white people. Like, what did they call Bantu knots? They called it mini buns. (laughs) (laughs) Sacred Bantu, not mini buns. Um, You know, and things like our our braids and our prints, all these kind of things. And like, to be honest, like even so, the idea of like being a voluptuous woman, right? It's not really celebrated, particularly a voluptuous black woman. But then all of a sudden, if Kim Kardashian is a voluptuous woman, it's celebrated. How interesting! And actually, you know, all the thing about plastic surgery. Yeah, there were rumours that Nikki did whatever. Yeah, but so. Um, but people are always making a really big thing about whatever she's done to her body, whereas I'm going to guess Kim's done whatever Nikki's done, but no one really makes a big thing about that. Again, that's interesting. I think that's interesting, personally. Um, and even without, we've moved away from the booty, but things of our lips. I remember seeing these creeps always like, I just love your lips. <laughs> and I'm like, you're weird, go away. <laughs> but I just want to put that out there, I think that's really strange. But yeah, this idea that if it's, if it's originally ours, it's no good until it's on a white body because I think, you know, or a, or a lighter skin body because the closer you are to whiteness, the less threatening you are, the less threatening everything you do is, basically. Um, and I would just say, yeah, I would just say kind of, let black girls live, please. Um, it's not easy. And I think that's why we need more, we need more of these kind of events and we need more organisations basically being defiant. And I really actually hate the fact that it feels like being a black woman is an act of defiance. The very being present is some kind of act of like resistance and resilience. It is annoying, but it does feel like that. So I guess it's a case of you know just having this open discussion and understanding that it starts with the body. It starts with yourself. And if people are always thinking they own your body, then they, they feel that they own you and there are historical roots. And um, it kind of has ramifications for the you know for, for today basically. So I think I'm just gonna just keep it at that and then um, move on to Priska. Um, I just wanted to go off of what the ladies were saying regarding Miley Cyrus. I mean, I was, I don't know how everyone's going to feel about this, but I was less conscious like two years ago. Um, and when the Miley Cyrus video came out, I found it mad funny. Like, I was like, she's not bad for a white girl. <laughs> <laughs> I can't lie, I was like, hey, she's not bad. But one thing I've realised is that we took a joke too far. Yeah. Like, we kind of put her on. Because we saw it and it was like, okay, it was weird like a lot of people kind of promoted her even more that way and it's, and it's about when white people do stuff it's like no like don't it's not a joke like don't entertain it because once we entertain it numbers websites and then we, that's how like Elephant Man would be like oh I'm going to get Miley Cyrus on a song because he's going to get numbers yeah, and yeah, so on and yeah. so forth and I think I think it's one thing I will say thank you Black Twitter because Iggy Azalea's finished <laughs> <laughs> like Yeah, it's melted. It's like, she's actually finished. Like, when it came to Iggy, everybody was 
coming at her. And I think that's what we need to start doing, is start being honest about how we feel when they do dumb shit, like really and truly. Um, I'm Congolese, so I'm going to link back to the African twerking thing. When I was younger, I danced a lot to, to music, because to me, that's, that's our culture. Like, we dance non-stop, basically, in the house. And when I hit, like, 10 or something, I would dance like that at school. And everybody would be like, oh, like, you're, you're moving like little slag. I lived in Essex, so I'm around really, really racist white people. Like, I was bullied in school simply for being black, having different features. So I'm going to school, and I'm, I'm dancing at PE and everything, and people are coming at me for it. So I go back home, and I don't feel comfortable being myself anymore. I don't feel comfortable dancing anymore. So it, it starts from a very young age. You know, when that stuff happens when you're super, super young, you don't grow up being comfortable. You don't grow up being liberated. And what I think we need to do is reclaim our bodies because it helps us be liberated, and that reflects self-love. And self-love just helps us do what the hell we want to do at the end of the day. Like, now I twerk wherever I want, yes. whenever I want, yes. because I love myself so much now. I love everything about my culture. I love everything about my growth that I don't care. Do you know what I mean? And I think, I think, it's, I think doing that is what kind of helps us be more vocal about how we are. And if everybody in this room was more vocal, people would be quiet about it. Like, for example, I... I recently quit a job because I started working in Essex again and it was just way too much for me. And I saw a t-shirt and it said, on fleek. I was working in Topshop. It said fleek. And I was like, so I wanted to, you know, I was staying around, I was bored at work. So I was like, do you know who said that? And they were like, oh, like, no, I don't know. And I was thinking, it was a black girl that said fleek. And she does not get credit for it. And it's just little things like that. It's like, there's no respect. There's no history because they don't feel like they need to know anything. You know, white people don't feel like they don't, they don't, they don't need to know their privilege. And I feel like we need to start asking them questions, challenging them, telling them really what it is. Like, no, this is exactly what it is. And same thing with black men. You know, when I twerk on my best friend's Snapchat, Men always like snap her back, like, oh, Frisca, oh, oh, And it's kind of like, I'm not doing it for you. And sometimes telling them, hey, I'm not doing it for you. And black men love to say that, for example, like Amber Rose, you know, she gets slut shamed all the yeah. time. And it hurts my feelings because, you know, I was talking to my friend the other day and I was saying to her, look, I'm broke, yeah? Like, if I was in America, I'd be a stripper. Let me just tell you this now. Mm. But Amber Rose always... <laughs> Girl. Amber Rose always, <laughs> Amber Rose always says that, like, she had, like, a hard childhood growing up and she needed the money. And it's kind of like, we never think... We always forget humanity when we have these conversations. Like, these women are human beings. Black women are human beings. Like, you can't keep coming at black women like that. And black men do love to do it. They love to call her a hoe. But at the end of the day, if a woman does anything but that, you don't respect her, you don't give her attention. So it's like, if we don't do anything, show our bodies, it's like, oh, like, you're not really relevant anyway. Like, everybody asks me, can you dance? Every guy that, like, talks to me, can you dance? I say, why? I just want to know. Like, don't worry about that. <laughs> She did her slump walk yeah. and she did not get like I was reading it on complex and like celebrities didn't show up, mm. you know. And I was like, this is why some some people just decide to keep quiet. Because when we speak up, there's just it's tumbleweed. Mm -hmm. It's an absolute tumbleweed. And I think that really needs to like 
that needs to stop, you know, because I know every single person here likes to dance, I'm pretty sure, whether you've got room or not, like, everybody likes, <laughs> everyone likes to move their body, and I think it's being honest to, to people about it, like, one time on Facebook, I posted a picture of my body, um, of my face, sorry, and I was like, yeah, I like to twerk a lot, and I was like, why do you guys not respect women that show their, like, show their body and twerk, but if I write, I twerk on here, you guys will laugh at it, like, yes, I twerk, Yes, I'm educated. Yes, I can read. Yes, I can dance. Yes, I can sing. But I shouldn't have to explain myself mm-hmm. for you to respect me. Mm-hmm. As a black woman, you should just, just respect me. Mm-hmm. What I say is what I say. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like if we if we don't call things out, nothing's going to get done about it. Mm-hmm. Nothing, just just Even if it means not shouting, just like just mention it. And just say, like, hey, this is a problem. Like, this is really, really not cool. I mean, Amma, what do you know? Like, how do you feel about that? Panel with you is an absolute honour. Um, I'm yeah, getting close to sit here, getting increasingly nervous at the end, but also just 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 basking. Um, and and just quickly, maybe to say, on my way here, I was coming from Old Street, was coming from work, had a really hard day, and some guy starts coming up behind me, and he's talking about my ass, and he's talking about how much he can see it in my trousers because they're white, and they're a little bit see-through maybe, and this is all going on. And I really, and like, you know, and I was a little bit like, like this is not the moment. Like I was trying to give him warning to be like, you really don't want to be doing this to me right now. And he was like, oh, you're in a bad mood. It's okay, it's okay. Give me your number, and then I'll call you. Um, talking about the history of twerking 
um, and, and talking about, yes, you know, the, the fertility dances that it comes from in the continent, but also the um, previously enslaved Africans, particularly in New Orleans, who really, you know, kept this alive in a way that it was not kept alive in lots of other parts of the world, in lots of other diaspora communities. It was really eradicated, and there was a really strong kind of Creole and black and African movement in the southern states of America where they had to fight ten times harder just to exist than in a lot of other parts of the world. Um, but there was also a huge black trans community in New Orleans which... which cultivated twerking, which, you know, ran a lot of twerking classes and which really owned that. And again, I'm talking about, you know, a community where it's ten times harder for them to be allowed to exist. Because everything about them, they are black, they are trans, and they are owning space, is not allowed in this society. And I want to take a moment for Zella Ziona, who was murdered two days ago, who is the 21st, 21st, 21st trans person to be killed in America only this year, second trans woman, black trans woman, to be killed in America this month. Are we halfway <coughs> through the month yet? And it is important to remember that the black body is a site of violence. The black body is a site of struggle. And therefore the black body has to be a site and continue to be a site of resistance. Um... start from me, and um, I don't know, you kind of, you kind of, uh, you've really nicely prefaced uh, what I was going to say about taking space, but I'm mixed race. Um, my mom is white, and my mom is half Irish, and my dad is Ghanaian, and I was brought up between here and Ghana, so I'm also a proud Ghanaian. But when I was in Ghana, I was very much seen as a white person. And I was very much not allowed to be Ghanaian. And that was a lot because I didn't speak the language, but it was also because I'm very light-skinned. And it was also because my dad wasn't around, so I was with my white mother in Ghana. And I was very much seen as an Obruni, which is a white Westerner. And very othered in a different kind of way. Um, so it's quite recently, in terms of the last maybe three to four years, that I have brought my feminism, which was very invested in me by my mother into a woman of colour space and felt allowed to claim that at all. Um, so it's, it's, it's very new for me. And I'm also really happy to be on this panel where I'm, I'm the only light-skinned person on this panel because I'm so tired of being put on panels as the woman of colour with white women and then I said, Kelly's got a black woman on the end. No. Speak on panels, and I and I and I ask that I'm like, are there other women of color on your panel? Are there other dark women of color on your panel? Or are there? Because I'm not going to be that only person. That's not the space I should be taking. Um, but I wanted to talk about um, hiding, hiding bodies, um, and that there is very much within, particularly white English culture, but within white cultures, this thing of hiding bodies that do not conform to to a, um, a very skinny, very petite, also particularly in this country, petite and small and carryable and malleable, and I can pick you up and throw you over my shoulder over the fuck I want with you, and if you don't fit into that box, you have to be hidden and you have to wear lots of big clothes and big jumpers which hide your shape. 
white trousers not hiding my shape. <laughs> but so I wanted to talk about, about taking that space, and it's taken me a lot of uh, many years to be able to take the space that my body takes, and that I take vocally, and that I take intellectually, and that I take spiritually, just to be here and not feel apologetic for the fact that I'm not taking this much space. Um, and I didn't grow up with that many black women around me who, who taught me how to own that space. And it wasn't actually until I went to the States and I saw women owning it um, and, and very much welcoming me into that fold. Um, and so it's very much a community that I foster here and it's a community that I'm, I'm grateful to be increasingly a part of. Um, so, oh, a sensual space. That was the other note by take sensual space. Um, so I wanted to, um, I'm, my part of the, of the panel was to be talking about reclaiming blackness and reclaiming black bodies. Um, it's worth saying that the first feminist workshop I did um, was with a woman called Fanny Sosa, some of you may have heard of her, oh, my friend Sophia, um, who's an extraordinary feminist and an extraordinary woman of color. And um, it was the first time I've ever been in a room and she was like, oh, you know, you're going to love this. This is going to be easy for you. You know, you just, you know, just wobble it out. <laughs> She's like, just wobble it out. <laughs> and I was just like kind of moving a little bit. And of course it was just wobbling by itself. <laughs> it's and I was like, how? I'm like, you're made for this. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, not to say that I'm a big bum. But it was helpful. It was a little helpful. Um, and, um, and, and so, but rather than talking about reclaiming black bodies, and, and of course we have to talk about reclaiming them from the Mali Cyruses in the world. Personally, I have big issues with Nicki Minaj, so I think that black bodies need to be reclaimed from Nicki Minaj as well. But I'm kind of quite interested in talking about claiming blackness and claiming black bodies and building and creating from an ancestry of power and beauty and independence outside of a male gaze. Because all of my Ghanaian aunties in, in, in Ghana, they don't live inside of a male gaze. It's quite extraordinary. They are really self-sufficient and their female communities are completely self-sufficient outside of, they don't, you know, they don't really care if the men are there or not. You know, and, uh, you know that seems to be the, 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 the weight of it. You know, they're like, oh, well, you know, black men come to England and then they have children and then they leave them and the women are so upset because they don't understand our culture and I'm like, that's, I'm really not on board with that. But it's also because in Ghana, certainly, the women have learned to deal without them. You can go and do your business. Fine. I don't need you. I've got it. Sorted. Hands down. And I don't think that's the way it should have to be because I believe in partnerships and I believe in sharing and I believe in exchange and I believe in... I'm not really into equality because I don't really think men have got it so great either. But I believe in some kind of elevated equality. But I think it's, it's worth saying that the resistance also begins with us. And it begins with me as an individual, not needing, not needing your gaze to tell me I'm okay. Not needing your gaze to tell me that you know, I'm beautiful, or I'm sexy, or I'm clever. And of course it's hard, because we have a whole media. We have media and family and friends who mean well, but who are constantly projecting their own insecurities and telling us that we're not okay, because they don't think they're okay. Because that makes us consume lots and lots and lots of products and lots of TV and work really hard so that we can continue to have money to consume that TV and not organize and change the oppressive patriarchal system in which we live. Mm -hmm. <coughs>
before um, I hand over to, to the Q&A, I, I wanted to talk about uh, one of the ways in which I'm trying to claim my black body and, and, and use it as a site of resistance apart from wearing tight white trousers and all of And that is that I started writing love poetry to myself. And I've started writing poetry about parts of me that do not fit and that have always felt like something that I need to hide. And I begin to realize that by claiming that space, not just being, in an ex being exposed, but choosing to stand here and owning that space. And it takes mental strength and, and mental awareness and presence. You can't own that space when you're like on your phone and you're listening to your headphones and you're checking your Tinder and you're doing all this at once. <laughs> Don't lie. <laughs> you know, you have to be present in your body and in this moment. Um, and so, just before we finish and um, we hand over to everyone, I wanted to read, if you will indulge me, one of these poems that I've written, and I wanted to dedicate it to Zella Ziona, and to remember that we maybe have the privilege to have the worst thing that happens to us in a day. The worst thing that's happened to me today is that guy coming up in my business, but for some people, the worst thing that's happened to them today is they haven't been able to leave their house, or they haven't gotten through the end of the day. And it's not not my problem. It is totally my problem. It is my problem today, it is my problem tomorrow. It was my problem from the moment I was born. And it will not continue to be my problem. I refuse to die in a world where that is acceptable for anybody. It's not a thing that's gonna happen in 300 years. It's going to happen now with all of us. Okay, so I wrote this poem in Peru because I always love myself more when I'm in hot countries and I get all kind of sweaty and damp and I'm like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my delicious self, all wrapped up like butter, melting, gently. Cotton absorbing flesh, fan flying, tickling, gently, all oozy in the heat, like sex left too long in the sun, big sun, red sun, my sun is warmer than your sun. Playful punning, yum yum self in Iquitos where the rivers meet, lapping, licking, lulling, gently, thighs like great mountains in the bed, rising, Falling, needing, wanting, nibbling, plenty to spare. Feeding colonies of species upon the earth of my big, round buttocks. <laughs> yum yum indeed. A sweet treat, young delights of fresh flesh in heated colonized town, white paint peeling now, blood red, dried beneath, drying wet, gently, Still expat LA man sells his chia seeds and cacao nibs, drawling, oh la, oh LA, oh my, not a word of Spanish. <laughs> Retreat to overflowing Clara, senora, senorita, warm and cheekiness etched in every lineless fold of her face. Forty, no, hair so long it tantalizes fossils, 
buried deep, passing through earth and equator, down under dark, loving, rumbling, lulls me to sleep, a world in your hair, dear Clara, and the shrewdness of your money talk, many Spanishes, chatter, gently. Me and my delicious self, so much softer in the heat, all over, I shaved my armpits and wept tears of black wet curls, my sexy friends, down the drain, not for patriarchy, for heat. <laughs> the moon loved my hair, peeking, glimping, glimpsing, dancing, chanting, gend gently, in the genderless world of my armpits. More gendered now, maybe. Guidebook that talks of plantations as a substitute for the word black, for the word slave, I feel like throwing it away. 1.5 kilos of historical baggage, not quite yet. Still some decolonizing to be done. Humbling as the whipped dogs, some of the worst I've seen. Eyes downcast and half drawn, half dead, not wanting to see another dawn. Cruel stick and humorless face, smiling madly. I see that life can be hard here, hard and hot and mosquitoes biting, the itchiest pricks to the heart, punching gently. Peru is outside of my windows, little holy arches worshipping sunshine, no glass, no interruption to their vigil, 14 hours a day. Afro feeling defiant calls for breakfast, now! Tattoos the love on my skin, lest I should forget in colder climes, me and my delicious self, all wrapped up like butter, melting gently. She went to a Nicki Minaj themed night in Dawson um, a while ago and she bought a t-shirt saying twerk it. twerk it and someone else came up to her and called her up for wearing that t-shirt and said 
quote, you're letting the side down. So um, Sienna asked her how she responded, and she said that she wanted, what did you say? She, she apologised. She apologised, and she, I think you offered a non-apology, because it sounded like a non-apology. Yeah. <laughs> sorry you feel that way. Sorry you feel that way. I think, it's sort of like the apologies we get when we call things out, isn't it? You know, when we called out, when we called out, um, what's her name? Um, Lily Allen, she was like, I'm sorry you feel that way. <laughs> so she offered the classic non-apology. So the question then is, how would... We, how do we interpret yeah. that? Yeah. How do we react? Or what sort of are the advice yeah. that we sort of advise people to do? Um, I think it comes it comes down again to the um, whole thing about twerking and whatever being seen as low art mm-hmm. and resp- uh, respectability politics mm-hmm. that are so deeply ingrained within blackness. If I wear a suit, they're not going to shoot me down. Mm-hmm. Or if I do this, the, whatever you do, your black skin still infers something that they see as lesser than. And but uh, so many people are so invested in if I can just do this. If I can just be as white as possible, I will be okay. Um, so you wearing that top, some, um, I think Bell Hooks wrote it in communion, um, this female search for love. Um, and I think Audrey Lord touched on it in Sister Outsider, in one of her essays, about the fact that sometimes when... Um, women of colour see other women of colour it's just like you need to behave because you're reflecting on me and I'm not trying to have them look down on me um, when really you're trying to get this person to do their um, their job of being respectable so you feel better about yourself thinking the more that you um, assimilate you'll be saved when there's no point like I said a lot of my friends who are on Instagram they see that I teach twerk they see all of these things they still um, thoughtlessly put up posts of like um, Martin Luther King and Bob Marley you know just, just lots of faces and they write all of these people achieved something and they didn't have to be silly and twerk to get it so I always comment on those things and I say, oh, but what's wrong with twerking? Who, what do you know? How do you know that? They, how do you know the process that they follow to get their inspiration? You don't know what MLK was doing. He's going to be twerking. 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 or the whore when it's it's, it's false and so and you can't take ownership of someone else feeling um, that they're not enough that's what it came down to she felt she wasn't enough so she had to come and say to you oh don't do that because you know it's making it worse for me because I'm feeling lesser than that's how I see it I think it's a bit I think it's interesting that both of you were in a space that was celebrating Nicki Minaj yeah and Nicki Minaj is not known to cover up Mm-hmm. And Nicki Minaj, I mean, and I can't the video, let's just leave that out there. Mm-hmm. And also, Nicki Minaj, is, is, she's very sexualized, mm-hmm. very sexualized. Mm-hmm. And twerking, call it whatever you want, it is a highly sexualized mm-hmm. dance form. Mm-hmm. So I think it is, I think it's, I think like Kalechi has said, I think it's an indictment on the person calling you out on it. So you're wearing a t shirt that's in twerking, but then she's calling you out on it. I don't know, I just think that sort of the conflict. It's very interesting. It's almost like you know, remove the speck in your eye before you plank, kind of thing. So, and which is why when I sort of raise the question, because I think this also highlights a problem yeah. with twerking. Mm. Twerking. Let's let's. This is me. Twerking is. I, I think in terms of if you want to look at twerking intellectually and sort of 
its impact on black women mm. as an art. It is problematic. Mm. Because on John hand, it's almost like you want to have your cake and eat it. You know, this is me honestly, because like you want to have the, you know, and rightly so, you want to have the opportunity to express yourself, to dance, to showcase your body, but then people are calling you out yeah. on doing that. So it's like a catch-22, basically, yeah. and what do you do? I refute that, because people calling me out, it's not my business. Yeah. yeah, if I can move my lower, if I can move my lumbar spine, because that's actually what you move when you twerk. Um, if, I, if I can move my lumbar vertebrae in and out, and do that vigorously, to a beat, I should be praised for that. Yeah. And, and, and if you're not going to praise me, I'll praise my damn self. But what you won't do is tell me because you have a problem with sexualization and you don't know, um, you can't um, br- um, break these things away from each other and see it. You don't go and watch ballet and go, oh, yeah, she's sexy. Yeah, that's, oh, yeah, that part of beret, hell yes. You don't. But then you're allowed to do it with twerking. But when people, when these women are, uh, you know, when um, ballet dancers are dancing, the, it's the illusion of nudity that they present, mm. but that's not sexualized. But some woman wearing a, a bath bridle. <laughs> Can everyone hear me without the mic? Yeah. yeah. Amen. <laughs> I don't like mics, man. Yeah. So I think it's really. I think it is a difficult one when it's like woman of color, yeah. woman of color, mm. black woman, black woman. Yeah. Because I I have made a conscious decision. Yeah. To firstly never try my very best not to have a kind of conflict in public with other black women, yeah. other women of colour. I've made that decision a long time ago because I think everyone drags us in public all the time. Mm. Let's have a conversation. Even if I don't like you, I still love you. So therefore we have yes. to have a different... And, I'll, and again, Kelechi Bay said it, it's actually Audrey Lord and Bell Hooks talk about it a lot, this idea that we're harsher to the ones that look the yes. most like yes. us, yeah? yeah? And this idea of... It's, yeah, she's in a space that celebrates Nikki. So that's just that's also interesting yeah. to me. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people do find Nikki problematic. She has been problematic. Problematic, but your face stay problematic. Like mm. this is another thing. When when oh <laughs> they do stay problematic. <laughs> but it's like I feel like when when black, when black women aren't allowed to make mistakes because basically we don't have the the privilege of individuality. Yeah. When when Sienna Van Gura does something, it's not Sienna did it. It's all these black women did that shit, and it's yeah. like no, but I did it. So it's like when black people do something, it's not oh. Marvin did that it's all black men did that so that's the thing here so she's coming at you with this idea of like you're reflecting me and I don't blame her in that kind of oh yeah. gosh I don't know like what what, the, what was the demographic of this place a lot of white people or yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's, <laughs> it's gonna be a lot of white people and I think she knew I was gonna and be wearing these outsiders, outsiders. And, uh, yeah exactly so it's interesting to me that obviously she was reflecting that but in terms of how still it's, it's hard because I don't know what exactly she, what was her argument specifically apart from this is, it's obviously respectability politics and we have a lot of that in our community, a lot of it. Women are always, black women are always slut shaming other black women, other women are always slut shaming black women, it's that, like we have that and that's just an ongoing problem from all the things I said before about the Jezebel stereotype, the this stereotype, the idea that we can't, I can't just be me, I have to be myself plus representing every black woman in this room when I talk, you know? And I think for you, it's it's a con. All I can say is that it's uncomfortable. You don't want to fight with a black woman in public, if I'm yeah. honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, in your way, you did your little acts of resistance because you did your non-apology. Mm. And I'm not here, I'm, I'm here for it because you, you're a black woman, yeah? And so I think, I think the rules are different. I don't, it's not about like, if, I think it's different if a white woman is doing shit about like twerking and as, as Kletch said, it's not coming correct with the, with the respect about it, yeah? I think maybe a way that it could be, although you don't, I feel you shouldn't be having to justify yourself 
on a dance floor. Mm. But if you with, I'm here, I like the shirt, amen. Let black girls live. But seeing as we can't just live, if you felt like, fine, I'm going to give an explanation, yeah. I guess, you know, useful thing is like what Kelechi's been saying about the history of it, saying, sister, look, this mm-hmm. is our history of it. Because obviously she doesn't know the history. Yeah. Yeah. She yeah. doesn't know the history. And even if she does know the history, it's so true, because I'm with Kelechi, yeah, reject all of that but at the same time we have kind of came to come to consensus that it's because of other people having a problem that it's been hypersexualized. this thing that's ours has been kind of taken away from us and when we have got it it's like but it's dirty it's lower class it's ratchet so i think if you want to you could just say like sister look this is the situation with twerking da, da, da. and then if it's, if it's not it's not going to work for everybody you don't have to explain yourself to everyone but you know you just have to work out how you're going to deal with those we have those conversations, <coughs> those struggles in public mm. and like I said for me a person wouldn't be I wouldn't have a fight with her in public if she doesn't we don't agree we don't agree and I understand a lot of people saying like the Nikki's of the world the Rihanna's of the world the bees of the world let the side down you know and I think in a way I used to feel that way not really because of like the way they're dressing but it was just again it's annoying because like obviously they don't rep- represent all black women they're all yeah. light-skinned women who are very fucking wealthy like they don't represent all black women and very skinny and very yeah, very slim even though actually be you know she always says she's actually naturally a more fuller woman but she already knows that she has to be slim to get by so you know she said that she's a more you know a full woman but anyway these women aren't represented but even so even though there are the viola davises of the world too these three women seem to be the face of black women in popular culture and they don't represent us so when 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 like rihanna was trying to twerk in her what was it pull it up pull it up watch yeah. it up fall out yeah. um, you know she was she was shamed for it too but actually isn't it interesting though because all of that stuff here like not even just thinking about african culture but caribbean culture yeah like rihanna's very vocal about what like what caribbean culture is and how caribbean people move and like at carnival you know she's wearing her little bra and her little knickers and then she's looking real fine you know um <laughs> And, but she's refusing to be like sexualized in that way kind of thing like she's like this is my culture this is what we do and that just reminds me of how like we were saying about when the thing obviously Miley's very thirsty to be sexy innit yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine she had to get over Disney yeah she had to get over Disney exactly we have to remember that like she's obviously been put in this box a lot of these child stars like they yeah. it's hard for them to come out and then be themselves yeah. and be grown women and be grown men because people see them as like little Hannah Anaconda, whatever her name was. <laughs> so anyway, but the point is, even though she's so very, she's so very like so keen to be sexualized, it must piss her off that no one really sees her that way. Like, and obviously in that, and I don't, I don't defend her, but in that, yeah, obviously there's a reason why people don't sexualize her body because she's got a body that's a lot, you know, very slim and like, you know, just not the same as the kind of not masculine necessarily, but just. Yeah, well, she actually has said herself, like, she likes the whole androgynous thing, but her body is, like, not stereotypical, the kind of body you would sexualise, you know? And she's been vocal about that. So I think it's just that kind of thing, too, but I'm digressing. But, yeah, I just think, don't fight with black women in public, but you don't need to explain yourself too much. But if you want to, just go and get a history book called Talk to Kelechi. <laughs> I, think, I think it's, sorry, just a quick Activity, I'm aware yeah. that we need to get, like, loads more questions, because yeah. time, time's getting... But also, I think, rather than spending time 
Like, as I said, I have an issue with Nicki Minaj, but I don't spend my time, you know, blowing her out. I don't spend my time mm. talking crap about Beyonce or, you know, or, or, or Rihanna or, or people us. that I find difficult. Mm-hmm. Because I'm more interested in spending time talking about women who do inspire me. Mm-hmm. I'm more interested in being like, why do you know what Beyonce tweeted last night, but you've never read Audrey Lord? Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of that comes from privilege. And the fact that yeah, I come from, you know, I have I had access to literature. I had access to things when I was growing up. My mom was an artist. And she put that stuff in my hands, and a lot of women don't have that because it's been taken out of their hands. Mm-hmm. Not that they didn't weren't born, you know, with an interest in poetry or an interest in literature. It was taken out of their hands, and literature in which reflected them, in which there were black women, in which there were black men talking about their, you know, empire, the Europe empire, talking about, you know, their empires that have been eradicated from history. They weren't given those books. You know, it's very hard to find those books, and so I think it's also about we need more collectors in the world. You know, and we need more people who, who take their moment to go, not all the time, sometimes I just want to dance, but yeah. sometimes yes. I can take yes. a minute, you yeah. know, and be like, I'm going to have this conversation with you. Because I didn't have it yesterday or the day before because yeah. I couldn't handle it, but right in this moment I think I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, I want to quote the A&I Women Collective, yeah. we, we reserve the right to self-preservation. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And I think sometimes self-preservation is, is, is <coughs> teaching, and sometimes self-preservation is removing yourself from the situation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but maybe we can take like three questions in a go and try and answer yeah, them together. Yeah, try and answer them together. Get the, the mic's here, but if you are far maybe back, yeah. Maybe Is there anyone else at the front the side? Someone there? One there? Lady here? And then there. One, two, three. I think it was four. Oh, four. Okay, four. Who was the first person over here? Lady. Lady. Raise your hand, stand up so we can... Stand up and say what your name is. Hi, I'm Hannah. Um, Hi, Hannah. Yeah. Hi, Hannah. Can you hear me? Yes. 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 Okay, cool. I was just going to ask, I was having a semi-argument with a guy the other day, white guy, with dreadlocks, mm. and I was <laughs> in a context where if Katy Perry does a video with dreads, it's for economic benefit. Mm -hmm. I was wondering where you guys drew the line between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation, and if it's just about economic gain or not. Great question, thank you. Okay, Jessica, you want to start? Should we get them? Oh, yeah, and then respond. So, one in the middle. Hi, my name is Sipo Ghazi, and I'm born and raised in Africa, South Africa. Yes. So, thanks for the space. What I find interesting, actually, the question is how do we reconcile the violence that black Africans feel as a result of black women? in the diaspora, if you call yourself yes. that. Um, because black culture, let me say, African twerking, if you trace it back, more than just a drum beat. I mean, we have <coughs> cultural ceremonies, it's part, of, it's part of who we are, it's deeper than just a musical thing. And we feel like it's been taken, diluted, put in a capitalist system, which is patriarchal, by black women, mm-hmm. then served back to us mm-hmm. as a form of resistance. Like I'm shaking because I'm, it almost just irks me, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I just feel that black women in the diaspora 
dip in and out when they feel like it mm. to be African. Yeah. Only when you're conscious or when you are. And you know, I've only been here for like a few months, and the violence by black women here who dissociate themselves from Africa, but then when it's twerking, when it's something like bullshit, when it's like. It's convenient and I'm African. Mm -hmm. Black Americans who say I'm not an African American, but then after the Black, Black Lives Matter um, mm -hmm. um, yep. movement, yep. suddenly are queens mm -hmm. and they take their roots are in, in, in Africa. I mean, we need to have a serious conversation about the violence that we're, we experience from people outside Africa. Like it's ridiculous, and I'd like to hear your views on Thank you. Yes, so thank you. 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 Thank
Um, in terms of the twerking thing, like obviously it's a very, very um, African American practice, I guess, or whatever. And I like the fact that you referred back to like, the sort of New Orleans thing. Um, and like the issue that I've got with when people talk about twerking, they're always like, oh yeah, but I've read so many articles where it says, oh yeah, it's got African roots, it's got African roots. Yeah. And it's kind of saying, oh, because it's so ratchet, let's just put the African roots in so we can make it like, we can mm. take it away from that, we can almost, almost validate it mm. to a certain extent. But it's not just this ratchet practice that people do from the South or whatever, like we're, made, we're validating it. But then it's like, look at like dance or no one would ever say, you know, our dance hall's got like African roots. It's, 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 it's Jamaican, German, or like the Chata, or like any other kind of dancers. They're very much within their cultural like practices. Well, I don't want to say it, but yeah. And we've got like a two part thing. It's like a like comment. We were discussing. <laughs> yeah. I think that in itself, like, I'm in it by the way. I think that in itself is like cultural erasure because you're not uh, you're not given credit where it's due to the people who actually continue to maintain as a form of a cultural expression from slave Africans. And not just that, it's sort of disrespectful in itself because you keep um, like putting African culture as an umbrella. Like mm -hmm. you don't differentiate African culture. You have to say where those dancers come from. Nigeria, the Eagle people, the Yorubas, whatever, African Americans, the Jamaicans, African Latinos, we do not create a blanket statement because it's I find it really offensive. Yeah. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to ask a question. Um, uh, I was really interested in what you all were saying about sort of the relationship between reclaiming your body and autonomy and sort of uh, audience, you know, and, and who's gays and, and all of that. But I think, you know, we're entering into this world of social media all the time and we're always on Snapchat and we're always on Twitter and we're always on Instagram. And I wonder as that continues to sort of frame our subjectivity and obviously that was a mode in which twerking sort of became networked in a much a much more street way than sort of before. How those questions in your opinion are changing because you can't know all the time what gaze is on you and also you're performing for gazes in a way that you never happened before, right? Yeah, you're yeah, always yeah. performing and people are always watching. Mm -hmm. So I just wondering what your thoughts were on that. Thank you, thank, thank you. you. Cool. Hey, thanks for those everybody. Yeah, really on. amazing questions. Dance. That's what I refer to when I refer to that. Um, a lot of African Americans 
don't know exactly where they were take, um, their ancestors were taken from. So if I'm now saying, oh, um, yes, yeah, specifically from this place, actually it's an amalgam. What they do when you, because um, I study it, what they do is an amalgamation of different regions. So for me to call out a specific region, that's benefiting no one because it's, it's different, um, it's all been contributed. And as um, Emma said, um, yeah, um, the people in New Orleans kept it alive, alive. so you've got the Nola bounce. Yeah, so they've got a specific kind of twerk as well. So there are twerks that are, this is what I was saying, that there's, there's something specific about it, which is why the whole general term of twerk, and or trying to say that you're going to call what I teach tribal twerk, I don't need the tribal bit because twerk is like, the type of twerk I teach is almost my DNA. I'm teaching you what I know. Someone else will teach you something that's different. They teach you a type of twerk that they know. So there's no, it's not like, for instance, I keep using the example of ballet, but you know, we see ballet as high art, and then people keep talking about twerk as ratchet and low art, which I totally like rebuke those um, terms because it's not ratchet. You know, you're talking about these women who, or um, um, people who do these dances, and you're, the only reason they've been given that term is because of the inferred socioeconomic status that they have. Look at them, it's like, oh, they're poverty stricken, oh, it's ratchet. No, because if I did that move and I was quoting, I don't know, um, from the Odyssey, <laughs> what is called ratchet there? Um, so it's about um, also have a look at it. And also I refute the fact that dancehall is just seen as dancehall because people who actually look at dancehall see the clear African roots there as well. So um, all of this, we, it, we have to remember that all of this has been taken out to the diaspora and it, it can only survive by... Um, by evolving, yeah. so um, yeah, and so all I'm trying to do is make the clear, the evolution clear. Like this is the link that's there. Otherwise, it becomes thinner and thinner, and then it's just something else. And then Miley's going crazy on TV, and we don't know what's going on. Um, and also, you mentioned about the violence of um, um, black women in the diaspora to African women. Yeah, I totally agree because, um, you know, we find it in, um, in a microcosmic sense. We find it when um, black British women, um, we talk about causes that happen over here and African-American women don't connect with it. Um, I think it comes from a, se- a, a place of privilege, of dominance, um, economic dominance. America is economically dominant. So although um, African-American women are marginalised, they have more of a voice than we do in Black Britain. Um, so then it kind of goes, pardon the term, but it kind of goes like that in terms of dominance and voice. Um, and I think it is important to, to not kind of pick and choose when you are African and when you're not. Um, I think that people can um, connect right now with twerk and like, yeah, I can have that. It's almost like it reminds me of when I was in primary school and um, the West Indian uh, kids used to say, oh, shut up, you African bubble. Like, they, they would always refer to the fact that you're African in a really mean way, so you wouldn't want to be African. And then suddenly... Um, Afrobeats came out, Debanj came out, and suddenly everyone was just like, <laughs> you know, we're all, and, and yeah, and then everyone was ready to dance, and then finally I could be African um, again, or I could be Nigerian again, yeah. So, so it's almost like you go into hiding. As Emma mentioned, you go into hiding, whether it's hiding your body or hiding your meanness, your selfness to survive. Um, so, um, as well as, um, as much as I think that a lot of this ignorance and a lot of um, women, all of us need to be educated to understand that we can't pick and choose when we're African. At the same time, I think it's almost 
done as an act of survival. They're waiting for something to be okay before they can say, hey, I'm also that. But it shouldn't be that. We should be brave and be like, this is all of us. This is, this is what I am, all of me. Take it or don't. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think, okay, I'll try and whiz through a few of these. It's interesting because I actually think that this lady, one of the ladies over here answered one of the questions, the first question, right, about appreciation versus appropriation. So I'll whiz through this because I talk about this all the time. Well, this is the thing, yeah? Cultural appropriation, okay, I'll start with, start with appreciation. When you appreciate something, culturally, whatever, yeah, first of all, you pay due homage, yeah? So you know, you know where it's coming from. You know who started it. Mm. You know where it's coming from, who started it, why you're appreciating it, yeah? Mm. It's, like, it's like, appreciation is, I have an Indian friend, let's say, and she's like, please wear this to my wedding. Mm. That's me, because she's asked me to do that. You know, I know the history of it. I know the, the value of it, yeah? But what we find, particularly in a country where the dominant culture is not your own, you are not the dominant member of society, it's very easy to steal from you. Mm. And obviously, people have been stealing from black people. Been stealing, okay? And the thing you talked about in terms of, like, economic empowerment, that's key. That's very, very key. But I think it's beyond that, but it's key. It starts with, we're going to take this thing, because we already know that on you it's worthless, but we know it's worth something. We take it, we profit from it, and we erase you from all of it. That's happened with hip-hop. Black people don't own hip-hop. It's white men that own the hip own hip-hop yeah even with like black um with, you know beauty cosmetics do you know who owns that it's asian men no it's asian men if you go and get your hair you're not buying it from a black person you're buying it from an asian man who knows exactly what your your braid is and your mojito braids and shit yeah that's how it is and that's the point it's like cultural and you know but it's not for want of trying there are black people who are trying to hold on to things but because it's, it's, a, it's a number thing, we're a small amount of people and people know to take it. It's like your dreadlock mister, yeah? <laughs> Firstly, I would just like to let you know, maybe you know, yeah, but there have been black people who were around in the Viking ages, so that's very important. We didn't just pop in Windrush. <laughs> I didn't just arrive on a ship, like, been here. I don't know, mister, but if it's that kind of straight away, that kind of defensive thing that a lot of white people do when you call them out on cultural appropriation, and particularly like in my experience, white women, when you call them out, yeah, it then I then find myself being like attacked by black men who are like coming with like their Mr. Superhero uniform <laughs> and being like, you know, you're angry and stuff, yeah. And people like that's the whole silencing black women thing again and making us seem like we're, we're angry. But appreciation is paying due homage, you know, and exactly what it is. There are white people who appreciate certain things and they don't necessarily profit off it. Wearing a bindi for fashion, that's appropriation. You don't know the history of it, okay? Um, dreadlocks. That's cultural appropriation, wearing it around and also devaluing things, yeah? A lot of these things are sacred to people. Maybe not now, like, in this setting, but a lot of these things are very, very sacred. So when you're walking around wearing, you know, like, gods and stuff on your top just because Topshop's selling it, that's devaluing that culture. And the thing is that 
when for instance yeah that person from that culture is wearing it you're disrespecting them you're laughing at them you're doing this you're doing that and like i remember a lot of my asian friends were talking about the bindi thing and like you know when they would wear it back in the day it's this weird thing people are laughing at what's that dot on your head all this kind of thing now like it's a staple when you go to festivals you know so that's that's a very key thing about paying due homage and not erasing people and that's to be honest in this country there is no cultural appreciation as appropriation like for instance there's some place called turtle bay right can you imagine turtle bay for those who don't know is some trash Caribbean restaurant that's no Caribbean people no black people employed there nothing yet and they and this is actually an example of how people of colour non-black people of colour like to also appropriate black people's cultures and also be anti-black one of the owners is a Sri Lankan man okay so that's important to know then there's the hip-hop chip shop yeah. Can you explain that to me, please? <laughs> so anyway, so it's about paying. Do, don't look it up. Don't go there. <laughs> don't put them out of business. So yeah, that's, I hope that answers it in terms of kind of the whole cultural erasure. I think that Kalechi has touched on the whole African identity thing, but I would just point out. I think a lot of us in the diaspora are lost, to be quite honest. And I totally understand. When I was at school, yeah, like people were the Caribbean kids. There was this kind of. Caribbean versus African thing, yeah. you dirty African, da, 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 da. and then one day they were like, this woke thing happened, yeah, and you know, we're all guilty of it, then we were like, no, let's find our roots, but it's, I think you should pity us, because Kimanda Ngozi Adichie said it, right, she said, listen, I'm not black, I am from this village, this tribe, this exact location in Africa, this exact location in Nigeria, of these people, time, place, she knows, and I think that's a sort of cultural capital that African people have over we in the diaspora. You know exactly where you are from. You know your history. Your your history. I mean, I know that there are problems in terms of the education system where being so like westernized. But you know where you're from. We're lost out here, and we're trying to find our way. And the first thing is we're all from Africa. And then this is leading to the question about kind of political blackness. That's interesting. Yes. So I used to be a staunch advocate of it, and I'm saying used to because I'm not anymore. Staunch advocate of it because I'm part of like the London Black Femmes, and our definition of political blackness is basically, you know, all non-white women because we're the global majority, even though we're a minority here. And it is useful, it's a very useful term sometimes, but what I found is people want to be black sometimes, and then when it's time to be black and be shot by police, they're not black. And that's really important. I found political blackness covers up anti-blackness in people of colour communities. It covers anti-blackness in Jewish communities in Arab communities in Asian communities where they don't like black people and yet like the people who are anti-black don't like black people but they're going to say that they're politically black and I think it's a case of like I call it out to be honest I think it's useful to call ourselves women of colour and stuff but for instance the incident that happened to me it's not because I'm a woman of colour it's because I'm a black woman that's what happened to me they called me a nigger and shit not anything else is because I'm a black woman so I think it's important to understand it is important and you know you you, st- you talked about the, the shadism yeah that's another thing too because obviously we black people it's a spectrum so even people who are who have mixed heritage who are have white blood they're within that spectrum of blackness right to whatever degree and in that spectrum of blackness of course there's this kind of hierarchy and there is a lot of kind of you know light skin privilege denial but again people are very very lost out here and so that's a problem we have in our community that it's not something we could solve in five minutes here to be quite honest but you know I think it's definitely a case of actually you should pity us because we don't know where we're coming from but we're trying and I think it's a case of there is a kind of wave forwards movement in this generation where people are trying to like reject a lot of the shit that's out there and we're trying to unlearn together and I think I'll kind of um I think I'll kind of leave that there oh the kind of validating whose validation are we seeking well I mean it's really hard to that's the respectability politics thing people are always out here trying to be given the thumbs up by the white gaze for everything your your body your your culture your this your that and I think it's something like it's hard to 
it is hard to reject. I'm always trying to reject it, but it's hard because that's the dominant culture. Mm-hmm. Popular culture tells you black women are ugly and you need yeah. to be as close to white as possible. Then if that means starving yourself, because there's a stereotype that white women are always skinny, then that means that. If it means getting... And I, I'm, I'm here for weaves, do what you want, but if it's like getting a weave because you hate your hair, do it to be closer to this, that and the other. And I think it's a case of like, it's hard to reject the white gaze, but it's we endure and we try to with all these kind of events that, that we do here and it's about knowing where you come from actually so again that's maybe something Africans in that sense can do that we black British people with a hybrid identity can't even really begin to do yet you know that's me Take on about that to tell the old story, to tell the old narrative. Mm-hmm. Which is why today you can see that a lot of conversations we're having now is about twerking, about empowerment. We're claiming our space politically because social media is not governed by anybody for now. Mm. 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 Do you know what I mean? So I think our greatest content, like the twerking thing, the, the twerk thing that we mentioned, okay, it was mentioned that the nail did whatever. I think when you look at the videos, they produce those contents for themselves. They enjoy how the bomb moves. And it makes me jealous that my bomb can't move like that. And I think that a lot can be said for producing things, being happy with what you see and putting it out there to let people know that you are happy with what you see. How they interpret it is up to them. But because that content is out there, it then creates a counter-narrative to the existing narrative. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So I think that's a very important point. If we did not use Twitter, if we did not use Facebook, if we did not use Instagram, the black voice, the black narrative would not be as it is. If black Twitter did not exist, Miley would be the only person who would be no trust. So to me, that's a very important thing. Now, for the cultural preparation versus appreciation, I think the question, the answer that the man gave to your question, tells you which spectrum he fell into. Mm. The fact that he immediately went to the Viking tells you that he is erasing the actually the true origin of the dreadlock, which is Rastafarian. Now, historically, Rastafarians were literally, they were criminalized, basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. for other Jamaicans as well. Yeah. Then, you know, like Caribbeans. They were criminalized for actually having the thing that he's enjoying now, that is now mm-hmm. attributed mm-hmm. to his white ancestors. <laughs> so to me, that is, to me, that is a classic definition of appreciation. <coughs> and another thing is that, for me, appreciation is, okay, so I decide to wear, should I choose to wear a sari? If I choose to wear it walking down the street, I'm not appreciating that culture. Mm-hmm. Because saris are normally worn. If I wear occasion. Yes, normally worn to occasion. Why am I wearing a sari in the first place? Mm-hmm. Why am I wearing it walking down Dawson? What are you doing? I've seen that happen. No, because I'll give you two examples. 
I was, I was somewhat ambivalent about cultural appropriation because I thought, okay, people are getting a bit, you know, if you choose to wear Ankara, which is what we call, you know, the fabric, African-style fabric, if you choose to wear it as a, as a blazer or whatever, that's fine because in Nigeria, in other parts of West Africa, people use it to sew blazers or whatever. So in a way, you're sort of carrying on the tradition and they can choose to wear it sort of as a formal or casual wear, okay? But I was walking down Dawson one day and I saw a hipster. He was wearing a yes. hipster, not as a negative term, but as an actual term of how they are referenced. Mm -hmm. He was walking down with the shoe, walking down Dawson with shorts um, and a blazer, some dusty. They like to wear clothes that are not clean. <laughs> <laughs> But he was wearing, no offence, but he was wearing this blazer that just was not very clean. He, but the thing that really struck me was he was wearing the male headgear. When you see, when you see Indian, traditional Indian wedding, he was wearing the groom headgear. Walking down Dawson in a dusty blazer, dusty shorts, dusty shoes. I was so offended. I'm not Indian, but I was really offended. Huh? Did you say anything? Why should I? It was not that. So. <laughs> because I think I was so shocked. Mm. I was because I, I was just like, okay, what are we doing? So to me, that is extreme cultural probation because he thought he was cool. He mm. thinks this is different, you know. And and also, which is why I'm going back to this Rastafarian thing. There's a time Rastafarians, you know, where rich white guys, mm. in an act of rebellion against their families, yes. they have. You know, yeah, um, the, the dread of it's sort of like the early life crisis where they have the yeah. life crisis where they drive a Ferrari. <laughs> early life crisis, you have your dreadlocks to, to assert your difference. Mm. To me, you're using an existing culture, you're using ASEAN estates, and a very important cultural marker to a certain group of people using it as a means, mm -hmm. as a vehicle for your self-actualization. Mm -hmm. That to me is cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm. cultural, mm -hmm. cultural appreciation is when you use something that is, that is you know, uh, indigenous to a particular group of people and you wear it within the context mm -hmm. that those people would use it for whilst those people are there. Mm -hmm. Because if you use it outside of their existence, what the hell are you doing? Mm -hmm. What's the important of, importance of that? And I think the question that you guys are raising is about, to me, um, I studied African studies and make it was a mindful part in my language. As an African, as a Nigerian, studying my history by predominantly white lecturers, uh, citing white academics, telling me, asking me to read books like Politics of the Day. You know, and, and, and they wrote the fact in the footsteps of Mr. Kurtz, which was not, which is, and if you know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mr. Kurtz is one of the most problematic characters in Heart of Darkness. Read the book. Oh, yeah, of course. But anyway, so I have problems with this sort of homogenization of Africa, which is what I hear in your question. Mm. Is this sort of Africa is a country as, as yes. 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 And, and people are not actually picking apart what Africa is. Yeah. So it's like it's a dance from Africa. Mm. But then going back to I'm Nigerian, my father is evil, my mother is half Ishan, half Benin. In Benin culture, we don't shake our ass. Mm. So when you tell me that twerking comes from Africa, it is not indigenous to Benin people. Mm. So if I had never left Nigeria, if I had never left Benin city, you I would be like, you are lying. <laughs> <laughs> when you talk about violence, the violence, the sort of Africans in diaspora, and the violence of Africans in Africa. 
I think that there is an intellectual conversation. There's something happening here where Africans, in, because I spent my first 13 years in Nigeria, and then I spent the rest part of my life here. I then systematically became black. Um, when I, before I came to the UK, I was Arab. Ask me where I'm from, I'm from Benin. You know? Or if you really ask me where I'm from, I'm Nigeria. You know, and then I went to university, and then I started ticking forms. Ticking mm. yeah. forms, your identity is shaped through the forms mm. you take. That's what people don't realize. You don't become black. Mm. You are told you're black through the system. Mm. And it's not even like, no one sits down and says, mate, you're black. You then, you know, write your passport, you're applying for your, your NI card, you're applying for this, you're applying for that. Even applying for university. Mm. Like black British, black African, black this, black, mm. not just black, you're black many levels. Mm. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, 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 I born in Nigeria, raised in the UK, so I know that I inhabit two cultures and two spheres mm. of existence. Mm. But imagine a black person born in the UK. And as a lot of people I know, um, imagine that they're from Nigeria, they've never been to Nigeria, mm. and they've always lived in the UK all their lives. Mm. Um, so the point I'm to wait, hold on, I'm trying to remember my point. Yes, blackness, and I'm dipping in and out. So basically, it's like, you, this is all you know. Mm. So imagine like um, Ade and Molly were born in, in Essex, same hospital. They went to the same school, going to the same university. But whilst money is legitimized in the UK, no one asks her where you're from. When money goes to university, no one says. So when, she, when it asks her where you're from, she says Essex. No one asks her, no, 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 where your parents from. Mm. But when are they, it's like, oh, where are you from? Essex, innit? No, where are your parents from? <laughs> so, no, so even though Ade belongs to the British culture, he's still othered. Mm. Every day his identity is questioned. His, mm. his, his place in this space that he's only known this question every single day. And then this, he doesn't sort of, he doesn't think about it consciously because to think about consciously is to sort of, is to sort of, in a way, eviscerate your existence. And nobody wants to do that because it's too painful to do. Do you know what I mean? So in a way, I think that we, uh, as a way of assuaging ourselves, and as a way of sort of legitimizing our existence, our personhood, we sort of, we then speak about the continents. I think sometimes we project mm. how we would like to be, how we want to be received in this, well, mm -hmm. in this culture, we project it into the continent. So when we say twerking is an African thing, when the African Americans say twerking is an African thing, they realize that in the American consciousness, in the mainstream American consciousness, twerking does not fit into that. Mm. But in the African consciousness, in the African sphere, You've seen lots of dances, and sometimes it's a form by racist trope, you know, booga booga booga. Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But they don't know that they're feeding into that racist mm -hmm. trope. But all they know is that subconsciously, I need to legitimize what I'm doing. Yeah. I need to undo this violence that is systematically done against my body. And the only place I know that will legitimize that is by going back mm -hmm. to where I come from. And because I can't even put where I'm from on the map, I'm going to, as Reverend Simone says, oh, say oh, 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 yeah. So, I think we have Sorry, I'm digressing, but these are, these are the ways, in my view, I think that we seek to, as Africans in the diaspora, being to the West Indies, being in America, I think that we seek to legitimize ourselves and, and in a way undo, undo and unstrip the violence that is being done against us and sort of to create a space to say that I belong, I don't, according to you I don't belong here, but I belong somewhere, even though I don't know where that place is, I belong somewhere. And the unfortunate thing is that Africa then become the dumping ground for this colonial handle, for this colonial anxiety and it's a conversation that we keep having ongoing and ongoing but this is how sort of I see it.
bear with me for a moment. Um, uh, threatening how to retain real, how to um, retain real sense of sisterhood in the UK. Mm. Do you know what? See, I'm talking about sort of political blackness. For me, for me, um, I went to a talk a while ago where we were talking about blackness and black feminism in the UK. And in the panel were mostly South Asian, and certainly was being led by South Asians. Now, I I went to university in Manchester, and in Manchester there's a very high, um, you know, South Asian community, and you know, Oxford Road where most of students live, you know, put the Kurdish and Russian as well. So it's not it's not a, a direct just because there are lots of curry shops. Every other shop is a curry shop. Like the Newington, every other shop is a Turkish. Shop. <laughs> So probably the but then anyone who has ever been to university or lived outside of London, you realise that experiencing life as a black person is different from how you would in London. So the rate when you go raving, raves close at twelve at two a.m. in the morning. God help you as a black man trying to get a taxi home. Mm. So we had a strategy. Our strategy was as a black girl, because you're all cute, very not non-threatening. You know, you're fit a certain. You know, you're a black woman. What, what are you going to do to this man? Whatever. So we would go in front of the road and flag down taxis. That was our strategy for getting yes. our friends home. I'll never forget one incident. We were my friend, two male friends, and I were waiting for a taxi to go home. So let's assume this is the main road to work. On the main road, we're flagging taxis as they would see us and they switch off their taxi on lights and when they go past they switch the taxi lights back on to let customers know that they're available. So taxis would see us and then there was one particular taxi who saw us, we knew that he was going to pull over so he slowed down. He slowed down, we saw that the driver was a South Asian man. He slowed down, we were here, got here and he drove past us and went here. So you had a group of white people standing here, we black people were there. We thought he was stopping for us but no, he went over to these white people. And as students, you're communicating with different people. You heard a lot of Asians talking about, yeah, we're black, I'm black, I'm black, but I'm like, but someone from your, someone who's black, just like you, has got an act of violence against me. So from, I always had a problem, and I'll say this, I, I, I hold, I, 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 I'm unambiguous in how I speak, and I'm making no bones about it. And I've always had a problem with this sort of selective blackness. I call it selective blackness. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you are oppressed, you're black. When you are enjoying, um, or when you are sort of when you're when you're sort of blending into into society, you have a different identity. Mm. And then when you are oppressed, you are then black because black has now is an umbrella term mm. for oppressed people. Mm. You know, so I, I don't know. I, I I think for me the answer to that question is that the person who the the sort of the non African black person needs to know their privilege mm -hmm. and you need to be a worker privilege. You need to acknowledge that privilege. You can't be part of the black group. It's sort of like a black man talking to a black woman about you know oppression. You have you oppress me as well. In the way the way to talk to me, the way to talk about me to other people that oppresses me. So you might be my ally, but you're also my enemy. And I think that every group needs to identify their privilege and know that you will be challenged on that privilege. It's not because we it's not we're not yes, we're questioning your space, but we want to know whether you know why we place in this
on the idea of Africa as a country. And also, we have to remember that for me to even call myself Ghanaian, Ghana was, was, was demarcated, a line was drawn in the UN one day by lots of Europeans to demarcate what Ghana was. You know, my, my family's from Cape Coast, which was, you know, or Gold Coast, and then my the city is Cape Coast. Again, all white terminology. So I could tell my fancy, you know, but even that, you know, where, where were my fancy people from? You know, we forget who were migrating all over the place long before colonizers even got to the continent. You know, we were already colonized by the Persians, colonized by Arabs coming down from the north. You know, the, the black people in the south of, of, of Africa were already the dirty Negroes long before the white people came and called them that. Um, so I think there's so many layers of, of decolonizing that, that you can do and so many, so many um, layers of privilege that also come from that. You know, my, my tribe in Ghana was one of the tribes that was famous for selling northern Africans in Ghana. You know, I mean, it goes and goes and goes and goes. And I think you have to be aware of all those privileges. Um, in terms of appreciation, I don't think we've gotten to a place, actually, of cultural appreciation. I think it's one thing to teach conscious workshops, but I think to talk about cultural appreciation when you have, you know, Burberry going to, to Joburg and taking the Swahili sandal and selling it for $2,000. And not paying people fairly. Nothing, or even saying it's from South Africa. You know, so when, I, when the Kenyan designer can go to Edinburgh and can sell a kilt for $6,000 in Nairobi, okay, then we can talk about cultural appreciation. Mm, yeah. I don't think we're there yet. I really don't. And I think that talking about anything without understanding that you're moving in a context which is still colonial, colonization is not finished. It is still racist. It is still sexist and patriarchal, and capitalism is only reaffirming that every day. And I think, actually, for me, what answers all your questions is... I mean, I, I'm obviously speaking as a very privileged light-skinned person. I'm very aware of that. But I've always been very aware of my otherness everywhere that I've been. Mm-hmm. And for me, I don't know if anyone knows the poem, When They Came for the Jews. Yes. yes. Yep. And for me, it always comes down to that. You know, maybe in this day and age, being light-skinned and being mixed-race and, and, and speaking the way I do and being able to read and write in English makes me privileged, but there may come a day when they come for me. And, you know, was I there when they came for the black women? Was I there when they came for the queer women? Was I there when they came for the disabled people? Because if I wasn't, when they come for me, no one's going to be there. So I feel very, very conscious every day that if I'm able to be there for someone else, I will. And often that may mean, in fact, being there and then creating that space and giving it to someone else who needs it more. But I'm still being there. So I think political blackness, appropriation, violence done back to, to African people and gazes, for me, it all comes down to that. And I, I, I believe in political blackness, I think, because I have to, in terms of being able to sit on this panel, I need to know that I can sit here and call myself politically black, and that's been very important for but me. But I think, to just say, you, you're not politically black, I would say you're a black woman, because you're, you're off the, like, political blackness is basically, I read it as including women who are non-African, non-black heritage into blackness like that's what I was having a conversation with another mixed race friend of mine like you know I think it's not just about being light skinned or whatever but for one thing I've had lots of black women come up to me and say but you're not black which is one thing and another half of it is we cannot erase (laughs) the violence that was done sorry (laughs) Orsis that was (laughs) I just found on the most
professional level. Seriously, yeah. yeah. you know that moment you go home and write a blog post. <laughs> you know, and you never post it because it's so fucking painful, and you're waiting for yeah. comments going, but you're not black though. Um, <laughs> But also, you know, I think there's also a level of erasure of what was done to um, Indian colonized Indian peoples. You know, the, the, the Bangladeshi famine and massacre of people, thousands, thousands, thousands of people that, that were starved by the British colonizers. And Indian peoples who, you know, came here and also didn't, were also called blacks. So I feel like it's, you know, it's important not to... I think there's understanding privilege and I also think they're saying you're not allowed in my black club because you're not black enough mm. whether that's skin wise or, or anything else definitely there's, 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 I think that's the link to what the sister was saying about almost the African reclaiming Africa and the woke community so the kind of consciousness I think people go a bit too far in their search for identity they then it's like you know what it's kind of like how on a different level when we try to like reclaim women in terms of like being a bigger woman for example yeah and then we end up skinny shaming yes. it's that kind of thing where it's like we love big women now da, 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 but now we like fuck you skinny women it's like no we have to find that balance in the middle because you know what I mean I think we when we're trying to find our identities we just go too far like with the natural hair movement for black women there are a lot of those natural sisters who shame women who wear weave and perm their hair and it's like for me let black girls live like I want to be in a world where I can do this do that and actually not politicise I've done it because I fucking want to like yeah. not because I'm trying to make a statement I'm trying to be Bell Hooks or I'm trying to be Beyonce or whatever do you know what I mean let black girls live